Hello everyone, my name is Rob. The following is an excerpt from a lecture that I gave as part of the Irish History and Cultural Module at University College Cork Language Centre in Ireland. Um, and um, if you want to find out anything else or other information about the course, you can take a look at the show notes for this episode. Enjoy the programme. Hi everybody, so these uh, lectures are intended for students of English language and they're written by me who is a, a non-expert um, in any of the, the fields uh, that are mentioned. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so let's get on to the second half then of... Um the story about Bridget Cleary, right? So um, I think it's fair to say that whatever about Irish people believing in fairies now, uh, they certainly believed in fairies back then in the 19th century. Um, here you can see, look, th this is a, a modern day photograph of people at a well-known fairy fort or fairy ring. Um, up and this one is in County Meath as well, I believe and they're practicing some kind of uh, new age ceremony um, or some kind of occult Wicca ceremony, uh, invoking the help of the fairies uh, for good fortune or for good health. And uh, here's another one of those um, fairy forts there that you can see around the country, there are loads and loads of them. So there was one uh, very close to Bridget Cleary, right? Uh, and her house. This is a picture of the house of Bridget and Michael Cleary. It's still there today. This picture was taken for the newspapers in 1895 uh, when she was just around the time that she was burnt. Um, it looks like a fairly small, modest house, but for the time, you know, this would have been incredible. This would have been, you know, much, much uh, more prosperous than many of the houses in, in the local area. Um, you know, having stone walls, having two windows, uh, two windows already made it a second class house, having a tiled roof and a chimney um, instead of having, you know, attached roof, uh, again, would have uh, meant it was very, very wealthy. Now, um, let me tell you the events, right, of uh, the story uh, coming up. Uh, to Bridget's murder, right? Um, so what, what happened, right? Bridget went out, um, as she did uh, many a day, after, you know, her sort of sewing work was done, she went out to uh, sell a few eggs. And on the way to selling a few eggs, she went and she stopped at the local fairy fort, right? So this is not the fairy fort that's near her house in Tipperary, but one similar to it. And um, she spent some time there. And then she, when she came home, she started to get a fever. Okay, now uh, we don't know exactly what happened to her. Here are some pictures uh, from inside her house, right? This is uh, the fireplace where uh, you will see um, that unfortunately she gets, she gets burnt at that fireplace. But anyway, look, she came back on that evening 
having been out walking and spending some time in the fairy fort and she had a fever and she started to change physically now um people think that what she had was maybe the mumps right or some other disease like that but what we know from uh, michael cleary's records um things that he said during the court case that uh she phys physically changed appearance right so whatever disease or illness she picked up while she was out and about um, she, she, her face started to maybe swell up. So you can see mumps, right? Um, paroditis, um, that's the name in, in Spanish, right? Maria Teresa, mumps. I'm not sure how, how you say it in, in Russian, but maybe you can, you can tell me the name of this disease. Um, your, yeah, your mouth really kind of swells up and it becomes difficult to eat. You can see how different these people look. You know, this is the same person uh, before getting mumps and after. So it radically changes your physical, physical appearance, right? So if you can, do you know this disease, Maria Teresa? Yes. Yeah? Yes, paperas. Paperas okay. in Spanish. Okay, paperas. Yes, and it is a, a disease from here, about here. Yeah, yes. mm -hmm. these glands swell up. So look, mm -hmm. whatever she had, now we don't know what disease uh, she had, right? But we know that it was a disease that changed her physical appearance, right? Changed her face, okay? So remember, she was very beautiful, and then she got this disease, could have been mumps, and, you know, she looked different. Um, so, you know, uh, mumps is still around, right? And you can see, right, as Maria Teresa said there, um, it, um, sort of attacks the glands in your face and then you get a lot of inflammation and swelling around the cheeks there, as you can see. It's something that, um, you know, since the MMR program, uh, vaccination program, um, there, so before the MMR program in the United States alone, there was 186,000 cases reported annually. Uh, but after the two-dose vaccination program, it resulted in 99% decrease in cases. So we have this disease relatively under control now. Um, and a bit like COVID, about 40% of people with mumps don't have any symptoms. But we think that that's what she got. Now, as I was saying earlier, the fairies were famous for stealing babies, right? And one of the, one of the things that parents would do, right, um, would be that they would make the um, cradle, right? So this is the place where you would put the baby. They would put, make the cradle out of rowan tree. Now, rowan was supposed to be um, a type of wood that had supernatural protective powers. So... Um, you know the way we say touch wood, like, right? So, like, if we're talking about something, I, I hope, I hope, um, well, Waterford unfortunately lost the All Ireland, but before I saw the game on Sunday, I was like, well, touch wood, Waterford will win. So we still have this this notion, you know, that wood has this kind of supernatural protective power. People very much had that belief back then. 
and rowan was one of these uh, trees that people would plant outside their house uh, or make things with in their house and it would drive off the power of evil spirits and of the fairies. Okay, so they would make uh, the cradle, the baby's cradle out of rowan because they were worried that fairies would come and they would steal the child. Now, fairies were particularly interested in male children, right? And remember I was saying that the fairies, they wanted to increase... Now, they didn't have any idea about DNA, but they knew about, they knew about the birds and the bees, right? And they wanted to increase, um, you know, the amount of, you know, human in them so that they would have a better chance of getting into heaven, right? Uh, because they could never get into heaven as fairies, but they could if they had a hybrid of human and fairy. So that's why they were so interested in human children, particularly human boys. And it's why um, if you see photographs of even people like Podrick Pierce, when he was a young child, his parents dressed him like a girl, right? So there's a common practice of dressing young boys like girls so that the fairies wouldn't steal them, wouldn't kidnap them, right? So this is a powerful belief that was all over Ireland. Now, they didn't just steal babies. They also uh, kidnapped adults, particularly if these adults were young and beautiful, as is the case with Bridget Cleary, right? So with the mumps, with this physical transformation of Bridget Cleary because of this disease that she had when she went out up in the fairy ring, because of this association that, that her mother had had with the fairies and with this supernatural knowledge, being a, being, um, a banfiasa or a traditional healer. The Cleary family, so Michael's family, and also Bridget's own family, the Boland family, they increasingly began to think that the woman that was sick in bed claiming to be Bridget Cleary was not Bridget Cleary. In fact, she was a changeling. She was what we call in Irish a shifra. She wasn't actually human. She was a fairy. So the, the fairies had come and they had replaced this uh, person that looked like Bridget Cleary. Right? Looked very similar to her, but, you know, was not exactly the same. Right? So... You know, Michael began to believe that, you know, there was an imposter in his house, that it wasn't actually his wife anymore. Now, um, this belief didn't, didn't take him over all at once, right? It, it took a couple of weeks. Now, let me tell you the timeline, right? So this timeline is from this book. Again, if you can see in my, in my uh, video, uh, the book by Angela Burke. If we look at the timeline, right? So uh, Bridget goes for her walk um, on Monday, the 4th of March, right? Now, Tuesday, the 5th of March, she's at home sick in bed with a raging, with a raging pain in her head. Okay, Monday or Saturday, the 9th of March, uh, Patrick Boland, so that's her father, right? Walks to Fethard. Now, Fethard is the local village and asks uh, Dr. William Crane to call his daughter. So they go, first of all, it's not that they ignore the conventional medical 
authorities. They do go and they ask the local doctor to come and take a look to, at her. Apparently, she's not well enough to go to the doctor herself. So that's the first ever time that they come, right? Saturday 9th of March. Remember, she got sick. She went for the walk and she came back sick on Monday the 4th of March. By Monday the 11th of March, Dr. Crean had yet to visit Bridget Cleary. Okay? So they went out on Saturday. Now maybe doctors are busy at the weekend. I think they're busy at the weekend these days, right? But anyway, by Monday, by Monday evening, he still hadn't uh, visited uh, Bridget Cleary. Michael Cleary walks once again to Fetart. Michael Cleary this time, not um, Patrick Boland. Michael Cleary walks to Fetart to call the doctor again to come out and see his wife, right? And Bridget has got worse at this stage. Then Wednesday the 13th of March, so this is nine days that she's been sick. Michael Cleary walks to Fetart to call on the doctor once again. This is the third time that somebody has tried to go and get the local general practitioner, okay? So they were trying to get conventional help. Um, Dr. Crean finally that day on the 13th of March, nine days into um, Bridget Cleary's illness, he finally makes a call at the house, right, in the morning. Uh, Joanna Burke, right, so is a cousin, a first cousin of Bridget Cleary's. Mary Kennedy, who is an aunt. Jack Dunn, um, another relative. They visit Bridget Cleary. Dr. Cornelius Ryan calls. This is the local parish priest in the evening. And obviously Bridget Cleary is very sick at this time because um, uh, Father Ryan administers last rites to Bridget at this stage, okay? Michael Cleary, that evening, in, in the presence of the others, he doses his wife with herbs obtained from a banfiasa, or a woman of knowledge, in Fetart. okay? So he, in desperation of not being able to get the medical doctor, the conventional doctor, to come to the house, he goes to the woman of knowledge, to the old healers, maybe of his parents' generation, um, to come and, you know, he gets a, a herbal concoction from her, right? Um, and she tells him, yes, I, I believe your wife must be a fairy. Gives him this herbal concoction, which is going to help to bring the real Bridget Cleary back. Okay, Thursday the 14th of March, Father Ryan refuses to to visit Bridget Cleary a second time, right? So the priest refuses to go a second time. Michael Cleary walks to Kalatla uh, to consult a herb doctor. So another herb doctor. This herb doctor is by the name of Dennis Ganey. Okay, uh, so another traditional healer. Relatives and neighbors visit Bridget Cleary on this day and they force her. These are not Michael Cleary now, but uh, neighbors and her family, now both the Boland and Cleary family, they force her to swallow herbs um, that were given by this uh, person, Dennis Ganey. Um, and she was forced to uh, swallow these herbs that had been boiled in new milk. Okay, and then they carry her and they put her over the fire, right? And again, this is based on advice 
that they claimed they were given by this person, Dennis Ganey, this um, herbal doctor, right? Or yeah, herb doctor. Okay. Um, news of Cleary's uh, father's death then comes at this stage, right? So uh, Michael Cleary's father has been sick at this time and he dies, right? This is a completely separate event. Um, and then a lot of people go to the wake, right? So for example, the Kennedy brothers, okay? So they're the, the first cousins of Bridget Cleary um, and Patrick Boland, Bridget's mother, they go to the wake as well. Right, so obviously the two families are getting on well, okay, because they're going to the family-in-law's, um, the father-in-law's wake. Um, so they, they come back and then um, others stay in the house uh, with Bridget and Michael until 6 a.m. On Friday the 15th of March, Michael Cleary uh, fetches Father Ryan once again, early in the morning, early a.m., the Father Ryan says mass in Bridget's house, in her room, right where she's sick. Uh, neighbors visit during the day and evening. Now Bridget is dressed and sitting on the fire when the neighbors visit. So she looks like she may be recovering. Okay. Now there's an argument about the fairies in that evening. Okay, Michael Cleary knocks his wife to the floor and she is burnt to death by those in the room. Now, the people in the room in include at least 12 members of both the Cleary and the Boland family. Uh, the husband, so Michael Cleary and Patrick Kennedy, um, which is a, a cousin of Bridget Cleary's, bury the body. Okay, so that that happened on Friday the fifteenth of March, right? So remember, the mass was just said that morning. By nighttime, she is burnt to death in the house, right? In the house where we saw um, that photograph. Okay, now let Burke, right? So Burke is one of the witnesses. Let Burke tell us how this murder was accomplished. Now Burke is one person who was there, one witness who wasn't a family member. He was a neighbor. Michael Cleary stripped his wife's clothes off, except her chemise, so her nightdress, and got a lighted stick out of the fire and held it near her mouth. My mother, Mary Kennedy, and brothers, Patrick James and William Kennedy, and myself wanted to leave. No, sorry, this is a relative. Excuse me, this is a relative. But Cleary said he had the key to the door, and the door would not be opened until he got his wife back. Okay? So he's acting on recommendations on advice from one of these herb doctors okay um and he's hoping that the real bridget cleary is going to go back okay now um listen to this right so this is uh uh the same person this is burke again right i saw cleary 
throw lamp oil on her. Michael Cleary, he means, right? When she was burning, she turned to me. Right, so Bridget Cleary turned to me. Imagine that face of woe. And she called out, oh, Han, Han. Right, that was his first name. I endeavored to get out for the peelers. So the peelers is the police. So I tried to, go, to get out and to get the police. My brother William went up into the other room and fell in a weakness. Now, these are all taken from the court statements, the witness statements of Burke in the court case uh, a few weeks after this. Um, so my brother William went up into the other room and fell in a weakness, and my mother threw Easter water at him. Bridget Cleary was all this time burning on the hearth. The house was full of smoke and smell. I had to go up to the room. I could not stand it. Clearly, uh, Cleary then came up into our room. This is Michael Cleary, uh, where we were and took away a large sack bag. He said, hold your tongue, Hannah. It is not Bridget Cleary I am burning. You will soon see her go up into the chimney. My brothers, James and William said, burn her if you like, but give us the key and let us out. While she was burning, Cleary screamed out. She is burnt now. God knows how, God knows I did not mean to do it. When I looked down in the other room again, I saw the remains of Bridget Cleary lying on the floor on a sheet. She was lying on her face and her legs turned upwards as if they had contracted in burning. She was dead and burnt. So then Joanna, Joanna Burke, who I'll just confirm, right? Joanna Burke is... Um, a first cousin of Bridget Cleary. Let me just confirm that here. And is the author uh, a relative of Anna, of uh, Bridget? Yeah. Because, uh, ah. It's, it's a, a first cousin. Um, yeah, so a, a first cousin of, uh, of Bridget's. Yeah, so Joanna Burke is was born in 1861. Um, and her basically her mother and uh yeah, her mother and Bridget's mother are um are brother and sister. No, her Bridget's father and her mother are brother and sister, right? So yeah, it's it's her first cousin, right? the first cousin of, of Bridget. Now she's a little bit older than Bridget. She was born in 1869. So that would make her in her early thirties, I believe, 18, sorry there. Um, you have the family tree here. I don't know if you can see that, the family tree in the book. So I'm just reading that to confirm. confirm. Yeah, so she, Joanna was born circa 1861. Yeah, so she, she would have been 34. And remember, Bridget was 26. So she would have been like the older, the older sister, if you like. Now, Bridget didn't have any sisters. 
right? She just had brothers, right? So, you know, and, and this first cousin of hers, um, you know, grew up just down the road from her, you know, within a stone's throw. So they were obviously very close. You, you know, she was a first cousin, but maybe you could read it like that was her sister. But it looks like Michael were trying to, Michael was trying to keep uh, them in the house. Okay. Um, so anyway, so Joanna Burke uh, is taken in hands by the police. So uh, all of the people that were there in the house uh, were arrested. Okay. Um, and the body was buried. Uh, here's the burial place, right? Here's a photograph of it from, from that time. Um, it was just out the back of the house, right? In a field out the back. So anyway, they're all um, arrested. So um, I was in the house of the night of the 15th, she says to the police. Bridget Cleary was raving. After some time, she got up and dressed and sat at the fire. She afterwards went to bed. I went out for some sticks. When I returned, I met her at the doorway, going out for her nightdress. I endeavored to hold her and failed. Since that night, I have not seen her. My husband followed her sometime and returned. He did not see her. She is missing ever since. They made a search for her. So obviously she's trying to protect Michael at this stage, right? So that was her initial statement to the police on the night of the 15th. Uh, that was the night after Bridget was burnt, okay? Now, this is in the court case. Addressing the jury, Judge O'Brien, himself a Roman Catholic, and not a nominal one either, right? So a genuine Catholic. This case demonstrates a degree of darkness in the mind, not one, uh, not one person, but of several, a moral darkness, even a religious darkness, the disclosure of which had come with surprise to many persons. So one... One would hope so, but the leniency of the sentences also, it may be truly said with surprise uh, on many persons. So a lot of other people, they got left off. Okay, they got away with very lenient sentences, but Michael himself gets 25 years and he, he spends 20 of those years in, in prison. Um, the case itself, you know, it makes front page news all over the country, all over Britain. Also, it's on the front page of the New York Times, right? So it, it you know, is something, it's a big, huge news story of the international news story um, at the time. Here you see, you know, some of the drawings of uh, the family. Uh, during the court case, right? Uh, so you have, for example, here is number one, right? That is Bridget uh, Cleary's father. Okay. Um, then I think number four uh, is um, Michael Cleary, I believe. But anyway, these are these are some of the cousins and 
close relatives and maybe one or two neighbors that were that were in the house that night and they were drawn by the, the court uh, reporter. Here is Father Ryan. Okay. Um, here is Mary Kennedy, right, uh, who it says uh, is the female guardian. So Mary, Mary Kennedy was um, Joanna Burke's mother, and she is Bridget's uh, aunt. So that's a drawing of her. Um, and then you see um, also uh, this is the doctor, I believe. Okay, and yeah, this is from um, a contemporary newspaper. Um, so you see the details of it. So it Rob, makes... Sorry, possibly... I must go. Already is my time for no. meeting. They already write it to me. No problem, no problem. Thank you very much. Thank you, Angela. I will see you. We're just okay. finishing now anyway. <laughs> okay, you. happy Christmas Bye. and happy, happy New Year Christmas. as well. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay so um that's that's it really um you know a tragic a tragic story um terrible, terrible uh you know and you know like it's something that was kind of um i think obviously michael was the was the one who who is most responsible and who served most of the time um, and mm -hmm. who was convicted of Bridget Cleary's murder. And clearly, you know, he was the one that was, was most to blame from some of the witness testimony that we just read there, including um, Joanna Burke's testimony. Uh, but, you know, he's not, he was, was he 100% to blame? I don't believe so. Um, you know, he, he wasn't acting alone. He was acting um, with his family. You know, his family were, had many opportunities to stop him. Um, they could have overpowered him. I don't know. It just seems that uh, he, he seems to have been the one to pay the price himself, you know, um, most of the price himself. So, you know, even though, you know, uh, he's the, the principal guilty party, um, I think he was, he was a victim as well of this, of the ignorance, let's say, and the superstition uh, that was going on around this time as well, you know? A terrible story, terrible. I thought uh, I thought the author's last name mm -hmm.